Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you. For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, June twenty fifth, twenty fourteen. Yep, we'll be doing our light episode today. We continue to work our way through the uh, series of lectures put out by Ron Hodel on the book of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and see if what people are saying and telling us regarding God's Word actually squares with what God's Word says in context. Now, part of learning biblical discernment is learning to listen to good biblical teaching, sound exegetical preaching, as pastors teach or preach through uh, large swaths of Scripture or entire books of the Bible. And we've been listening to a series of lectures put out by Pastor Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Cap. Pastrano Beach, California, and he's been working his way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Very important book, a good one for Christians to be paying attention to and for us to be studying in depth in this way. And if your pastor never preaches or teaches through books of the Bible, that's probably a problem. Um, You need to understand what God's Word says, and the job of the pastor is to preach and teach the Word and to teach people the full counsel of the Word of God. You need to understand what these texts say, and you need to be able to rightly handle them and understand them. So without any further ado, here's this week's installment as we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians by Pastor Ron Hodel. Here we go. We are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I would like to... uh... Okay, thank you. Um, I'd like to just read starting at verse 10 uh, through the end of the, of the chapter. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on, upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will uh, be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know 
that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys this God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So Paul has been using, uh, just before this section, he's been using kind of agricultural pictures to, or imagery to talk about the work of the apostles uh, that uh, he, Paul, um, planted. Uh, He laid the foundation or he planted. And Apollos and Cephas, they watered, but it was God who gave the growth. And so it's very agricultural. And, And he continued on and talked about the Corinthians as God's field. Agricultural. And then he changes the direction or the focus uh, of his imagery to a more urban kind of picture. You are God's buildings. Um, buildings have foundations. And the foundation that the uh, that, that St. Paul has built uh, as the master, skilled master builder, uh, is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And no other foundation than that can be laid. And that's when Paul, and so Paul writes uh, 12, uh, verse 12 and 13, um, uh, now, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. All right. So what's built on this foundation that St. Paul has laid needs to be... Uh, that which is of the finest material, so to speak. But Paul's not talking about um, how you adorn a church building with gold and silver and jewels and on and so forth. Not that that's bad or good. That's just Paul speaking here uh, metaphorically. The section, uh, as you might remember, as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, is primarily addressed to pastors. Paul's preaching to pastors. This is a sermon to pastors. And so he's asking pastors, reflect on what you are building your congregation with? Are you building with good material? Or are you building with shoddy material? Um, the good is going to withstand the testing. The shoddy material is going to crumble. And then he mentions a number of different uh, 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 items. Um, and they he mentions them in kind of a descending order of value. But what's most important is the fact that these two, uh, these items are, are kind of lumped into two different groups. One group is non-combustible, okay? And the other group uh, will, will burn. And so the non-combustible materials that he talks about, um, I would say, represent the, 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 the preaching and the teaching and the care of a congregation that is built on the wisdom of God, the gospel of the crucified and risen Savior. Um, it's uh, gold and silver, that, that stuff is gold and silver, which is refined by fire, um, and precious stones, and they will, uh, they will survive fires. Uh, that, and that then is contrasted with the combustible materials, the wood, the hay, the straw, and, and 
those materials would be uh, that stuff, the teachings and the methods and on and so forth, that are motivated not by the Word of God, but rather that are based on, on human wisdom. And very often when, when Paul talks about wisdom, you've got to be really careful. Is he talking about the wisdom of God, a good thing? Or is he talking about the wisdom of the world, uh, not such a good thing? Um, and he talks about the fact that the materials, if you will, represent each minister's work, okay? And, and uh, the, represent the quality of that work. But quality not defined by the way the world defines quality, but rather the quality defined by the way God would define quality. Um, and the quality of that work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. All right? Now, the day. That might be a reference to the last day. And indeed, that's the way the editors uh, understand it because they've capitalized day in the text. In the original, there's not a capital, there's not a capital there. But uh, they, the, the editors put a capital D, um, kind of being symbolic of what goes on on the last day. Malachi says that on the, the day will come, uh, burning like an oven. All right. So that imagery of, of fire is symbolic of the last day, um, judgment day, the day that God will judge if the work was done according to his wisdom or whether the work was done according to the wisdom of the world. And the day will determine if the stewards, the pastors, have been faithful stewards, properly proclaiming the pure law and gospel, administering the sacraments the way the Lord would want them administered, or not. Um, and the work of those uh, who use the finest materials will survive the heat. Uh, probably important to remember, there's going to be heat. All right. Well, last day, but uh, think about there's going to be heat. Um, uh, it's going to be consumed and dis- uh, it's not going to. It's going to survive the heat, and they'll be rewarded for their faithful service. On the other hand, those whose work is oriented uh, to this age. Who build the church with, with inferior materials, um, will see that their life's work is consumed. It's destroyed. Um, uh, but then it says, but he himself will be saved. Yeah, Carrie. It seems that those are ingredients for idolatry. You know, the green and green make bricks from straw, some wood, hay, and straw. It seems to me it's idolatry. Well, it would be making an idol of the things of the world. Um, now, of course, gold and silver and, and uh, jewels are also, you know, can be made into idolatry, idolatrous things as well. But on, on the other hand, I'm kind of looking at it as what, what is the material you're building the church with? The building on that foundation of Jesus Christ, are you building with things that last or with things that don't last? Okay, so that's kind of where, where I'm going with that. I think it's kind of an interesting line, though, when he adds... But he himself will be saved. Now, I, I mentioned last time, is this a text for works righteousness? Um, being saved by what you do? Um, and the answer is no. Um, this isn't a proof text for works righteousness. Um, if he builds and it's destroyed, if he builds on, on the things of sand, the things that are perishable and combustible, uh, builds with the wisdom of the world, it's going to be destroyed, he says, but he himself will be saved. He, I would say, the pastor, 
the pastor is kind of like the person who is in a, in a terrible car wreck, whose car is totally destroyed, but ends up walking away from the wreck, um, physically unharmed. Okay. Um, and the point is, it's not works righteousness that saves us, either you or the pastor. So even if the pastor has made a wreck of things, he himself will be saved, not because of the quality of his work, not because of how he built the church. Um, he'll be saved like everybody else is saved by the grace of God. Okay. So our salvation, yours and mine as a pastor does not depend on what we do. It depends on, on faith that is, that is trusting the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. And so even the church builder who builds with inferior materials, if he trusts Christ, will be saved. Okay? On the last, in the last day, we'll reveal that. On the other hand, on the other hand, um, this day, this day could, could, um, be the present day as well. Um, one of the things I like to do at home, um, is, I like to wash dishes. I do. Dishes are good to wash, and it sounds crazy, but you know what? When you wash dishes, you can see that you've accomplished something, right? That's a nice thing. And then they all get put away in the cupboards. Well, usually we let God dry them. We like to let him have a part in it, okay? And uh, he doesn't like to wash them, but he's really good at drying them. And so we let him dry them. It's, uh, yeah, um, make God feel good about it, you know? Um, that he's participated in the whole effort. Um, uh, but it's nice to be able to see that you've accomplished something. And many times pastors, and I would have to say um, maybe in your profession, uh, whatever it is, uh, sometimes you don't see the results of something. Uh, 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 you know, you, you, you witness as a pastor or as a layperson. You witness and you don't know um, whether, you know, that person sometimes, you don't know whether that person has come to Christ. Uh, you preach a, a sermon and um, God bless you for coming out and saying good sermon pastor. I really appreciate that. And it you know, builds me up. I like, I, I like to hear that. Um, but I had a pastor friend who uh, uh, would, uh, people would say good sermon pastor. And his answer was, we'll see. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a good one. Maybe it wasn't. What, what's going to happen with it? You know, um, Sometimes you don't get to see the results of your work. Um, but then on the other hand, sometimes we do get to see the results of our work, and it's, a, and it's a great reward. I remember making an evangelism call at my last congregation, and uh, we had a school, and we would call on, on the families of everybody in the school. All right, and went over to a, a family's house, and uh, they had their kid in the school. Uh, neither the husband nor the wife uh, came to church. Uh, and, uh, wanted their kid in our school for, uh, to support good morals and ethics. And we were about good morals and ethics. That's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable because we were going to teach this young man about Jesus. Um, but, uh, if we can get you in thinking we were going to teach morals and ethics too, well, that's great. And, uh, so I was talking with them for a while and, and, uh, at, at the time, uh, my son Chris had been, uh, looking at the stars and we had, uh, there were telescopes and he'd go to a, uh, there was a telescope club that you could look through the, the telescope and see the stars. So he kind of got to know different kinds of telescopes and the husband, uh, he, uh, in this, in this call, he just stayed in the kitchen. He didn't even come into the living room. All right. Um, just the wife sat there politely with me 
and I talked and on and so forth. And, and then, uh, he, I uh, was getting ready to leave and she called him and asked him to come out and say goodbye, you know? And, um, he came out and I shook his hand, of course. And I said, are you into telescopes? And he said, why? I said, well, cause there was this round thing on the, on the table near the door, just this round ball. But I knew that some telescopes are shaped like that. Okay. And, uh, Said, yeah, and started talking about that. So we started talking a little bit. I don't know a whole lot, um, but uh, uh, and and that started this conversation. Well, uh, long story short, and I got to see the reward of this call. Um, she ended up uh, becoming the church secretary. He ended up. Uh, they both joined the church. Uh, uh, he, uh, she became the church secretary. He became the, uh, in the end, the president of the congregation. And this son, this little boy, is now a pastor. Okay, but you, you know, what a blessing! Sometimes we get to see it. Or, or uh, making a call here once uh, in the hospital. Man had a terrible heart attack, um, and uh, um, went to visit him in the hospital. I, I knew him, but not he never darkened the door of the church. His wife did, and and um, uh, he he just he couldn't come to church because of what happened in Vietnam. He just couldn't face God. And I talked about even that's forgiven, even that is completely covered by the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross. It was like the weight that was sitting on his heart, destroying him, was lifted, and uh, he came to basic came to church, was here basically every Sunday with his wife until until he, he died. Um, and uh, sometimes you get to see the fruit of your work, uh, the the reward of your labor. Um, and, and those kinds of things carry you for a long, long time because rewards like that are few and far between in our lives. Um, so sometimes you get to see the reward. Sometimes that day comes in the present day, is what I'm trying to say. Um, you get to see the great blessing. Sometimes you don't, um, but you know that God is the one who who sees us. Um, Paul's preaching to pastors. I said, um, uh, he, he to to say that the reason I say that is because you've got to look at the context of what he's been what what he's been talking about. He's been talking about his own foundational work that he has uh, begun in the city of Corinth. Uh, his, 19, his 18 months there, years ago, and then the watering of Apollos. And he's he's thinking of the church's pastors and their teachers, that they have a special responsibility to see that the church is built on the foundation of our crucified Jesus. But then, of course, what applies to the pastors really does apply to all of us as Christians. And uh, what I would encourage congregations to do uh, which this congregation does, and thanks be to God, is that you encourage your pastors to major in the majors, not major in minors, so to speak. Uh, you you are very good about uh, not evaluating us uh, from a worldly standpoint, the way the world thinks, you know, how well uh, he runs a meeting or whether he's... Uh, uh, thin and slim or charismatic or stands six foot three or has a beard or something like that. Sorry about the beard. Thing. Um, uh, no, you ask, does he preach the word of God? Okay. Does he preach the word of God, the law and the gospel? Does he, does, is he, is he faithful to that? And, um, uh, it's a blessing to be in a congregation that looks at their pastors primarily. What is your job? And the other things are good. You know, they're wonderful to have. Um, but uh, 
the most important thing is building on that foundation with the things of gold and silver and jewels. Um, and then the same with yourself. Um, then Paul talks about what kinds of buildings the Corinthians are. Look at 16 and 17. He's been, and, and he's been wrestling with this congregation. They aren't people who are all really supportive of him. Some of them don't like him. Some of them have written him off for other more impressive preachers. Um, and yet Paul looks at them and he says, do you guys know who you are? Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Um, this congregation is, is God's temple. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament temple was, was all dressed up with precious, precious materials. It was where the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God dwelled. Um, and now in the New Testament, the dwelling place of God is similar. It too is made of precious materials. Um, it too is the dwelling place of God. But it's not a physical building. Um, it's you personally. Um, and that's true. But the you here in the, in the original, the you is in the plural. So what Paul is doing here is he's talking about you, the church. Um, and uh, he talks about that uh, in, in other places as well. He's not talking about us individually. He's talking about the church corporately. When he wrote to the Corinthians again, his second letter in chapter 6, he said, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he talked about the whole structure built, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Um, all building on things that were said all the way back in the Psalms. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Okay, talking about the church corporately. Um, and as the dwelling place of God, the Corinthians should be building up God's house, he says, not tearing it down with things like jealousy and divisions and strife. Um, and of course, when Paul's mentioning temples, you have to remember that in Corinth, there were many temples uh, built to a pantheon of different gods and goddesses uh, and uh, as Paul is saying, the, the, uh, there's only one true God, and there's only one true temple of God where the Spirit of God dwells, and that's the church, um, of which each of the Corinthian Christians were a living stone. And there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, mess around with the foundation, and the whole thing crumbles. Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, I will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So Paul's been talking about divisions for a reason. Um, it's serious to him. The divisions in that congregation were, they weren't just splitting a congregation. They were destroying God's temple. Um, and anyone who is destroying God's temple is 
if you will, just like the Babylonians who came and burned and destroyed Solomon's temple. Puts them in the same league. And for anyone who destroys God's temple, Paul warns that God will destroy him. And that's why God's reaction is so strong. Because God's church or because God's church is God's holy temple, precious in his sight. Um, the temple is his body in the world, so to speak. And that's nothing to mess with. Right? So these divisions are serious and they need to be dealt with properly and rightly. All right, we are going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we will listen to the balance of today's lecture on 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ron Hodel. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We will be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. You have reached the voice mailbox for Melissa Fisher. Please leave a message after the tone. When finished, you may press one for more options. Hi, Melissa. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, I was wondering if you could help me out. I'm, I'm trying to uh, you know, get a hold of a guy named Vincent. But I, I can't remember his last name. This guy wants me to make myself real in his life, but I can't find his address or his phone number or email. The world is so complicated. You know how hard it is to find somebody if you can't remember their last name? Do you know how many Vincents there are in the world? He's, he said that he would leave his sin behind if I could just, you know, somehow reach out to him and prove that I'm real. So if you can make one of your really fancy videos and tell him that I'm calling him by name, but don't tell him that I can't remember his last name, I, I really would appreciate it. Oh, and, uh... One more thing, you might want to mention something about his adventurous heart. That way he'll know that the message is for him. Thanks, Melissa. I, you know, I don't know what I'd do without you. Hey, everyone. This word is for Vincent. Vincent, the Lord calls you by your name, and he is making himself known to you today. Now that he has made himself known to you, remember what you said. You said, Lord, if you would call me, if you would make yourself real, that I would come and I would leave, absolutely leave 
all of it behind and come to you because you've been wavering between two opinions. Now here it is. Vincent, the Lord is calling you. Come to him. The life is better on this side. Believe me. Give up the unfruitful works of darkness and walk completely in the light. And I tell you, Vincent, you won't be sorry. The Lord is ready to show you a mighty, mighty adventure. That adventurous heart that you have, the Lord is going to really, really reach in and he's going to satisfy that heart in you. And it's going to be even more than you ever could have planned on your best day. So Vincent, come to the Lord. Wait no longer. Vacillate between two opinions no longer. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Roseborough here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with the shallow preaching and teaching of your pastor, especially if he doesn't, you know, work through entire sections of the Bible and teach you what God's Word says. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Here's the balance of today's lecture on the book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Ron Hodel. 18 through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. So Paul exhorts the Corinthians, let no one keep on deceiving himself. And it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves. Our old Adams, or at least I'll speak for myself, my old Adam is a very crafty manipulator. Okay? We're extremely good at justifying ourselves. You know, I had a, my, my pastor that I worked with up in Northern California, um, 
he, he preached in a sermon once. He said, God loves children because they sin. Not because they sin, but because they know they sin. Okay? Um, a, a child caught with his hand in the cookie jar knows that he did the wrong thing. You catch my hand in the cookie jar, and I have got a self-justifying reason why my hand should be there, and don't you, uh, you know... So, so adults are very good at justifying themselves. Um, and Paul says, don't keep on deceiving yourself. Your old Adam is a crafty manipulator. And so Paul calls for repentance, uh, you know, 180 degree turn. If one thinks highly of himself, uh, wise in this age, meaning by worldly standards, which of course gets all the accolades and gets all of the attention. You know what? That wise one, according to the world, must become a fool. Someone who believes the foolish message of the cross. They must die to themselves, find themselves in Christ. Of course, that's the, the great reversal. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary sang about it. So did, so did Hannah, uh, where God puts down the mighty from their thrones and exalts the humble and those of low degree. Um, so God's standards are at odds with the world's. They're Two standards opposed to each other, even hostile to each other. Um, and then Paul uses two Old Testament references to, to back up his argument. He quotes from Job chapter 5, verse 13. Job wrote, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. And then the psalmist in Psalm 94, verse 11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of men. Uh, that they are but a breath. So, in Job, God turns the tables on his crafty opponents. Um, uh, crafty opponents being, you know, Job's friends who uh, always came up with the wrong ends. Job's friends were great counselors until they opened their mouths. You know, um, might be something to learn from that. Uh, um, but, but. Uh, God turns the tables on these crafty opponents. Or, or people like, um, Haman, or Haman in, in, uh, the book of, of Esther, where he builds a, a gallows to hang Mordecai on, and then God turns the tables on, on Haman, and Haman is, is the one who is hung on his own gallows. Um, or in Psalm 94, God sees and hears the schemes of the wise, and he renders them futile. So let, verse 21, so let no one, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and your Christ's, and Christ is God's. Um, let no one boast in men. You know, if you've tied yourself to one particular teacher, in one sense, he's talking about here. And, and by that meaning good teachers, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, um, you end up missing out on what the other teachers have to offer. If you tie yourself to Apollos, you miss out on what Paul has to offer. You miss out on what Cephas has to offer and on and so forth. That doesn't mean give an, an undiscerning ear to every preacher who preaches out there, but to the ones who are built on the foundation of Christ here, um, give them an ear. Don't be linked to either Paul or Apollos or Cephas in that sense. 
Um, then he then he says, "All things are yours." Now, some of the commentators think that that might have been a, a phrase amongst the elite, the religious elite in Corinth. And if so, Paul takes their phrase and says, "If all things are yours, then why do you boast in only one person? Aren't they all yours? Um, everyone who preaches the gospel, Paul and Apollos and Cephas. In fact, all things are yours. This world and the, in the age to come." We're royal heirs of the world, he tells the, uh, Paul tells the Romans. Um, the new heavens and the new earth, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Um, it's just that now, all, that all things are yours is, the truth of that is hidden under the foolishness of the cross. Um, you can't see that quite yet, but all things are yours. And he starts to list the all things. He talks about the orthodox teachings of Paul and Apollos and Peter. And that's great. That's all yours. And then the world, that's yours. Wow. The world. Okay. And life. Life is yours. Abundant life. Eternal life. Life now, life and life to come. It's yours. And death. You go, on death? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was good until we got to the death part. Uh, you know, what, what's he mean? Death is yours. I think what he's saying is you can even look at death differently. Not that death is a good thing. It's not. Um, it, uh, uh, it, it's the enemy. But death can be seen by the Christian as that be, uh, of being ushered into eternal life. Um, so life is yours. Death is yours. All the present things of this life are a gift to you, that you have, are a gift to you from your freely giving God. Okay? The present or the future. For the Christian, all things to come uh, are, are ultimately for our good as well. Um, all things are yours, past, present, and future. All are God's gifts for his children. Just remember, though, even though all things are yours, you're not the center of attention. Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things of the future are not at the center of the universe. Christ is. He says, and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Right? Now, he's not saying that the Son there is inferior to the Father. That's not what he's getting at. He's, he's talking about Christ as one who humbled himself when he became man in order to save us. And this Christ is God's. All right, right, that brings us to the end of chapter 3. Just uh, open it up for any questions or comments, and then we can jump into uh, chapter 4. Morning, Pastor. Um, you You made a comment with regards to divisions in the church and... I wrote down a question that I wanted to ask you. <clears throat> um, I made a comment about the what? The divisions in the church. Divisions, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so my question is this. If the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God, and that we may well be caught in our craftiness, yeah. how are we to address these divisions wisely? Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, um... I think the the wise way to do it is is first off to to um, realize that the people that 
the people that we have a division with are brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, um, now granted, sometimes we're meanest to our brothers and sisters. You know, um, uh, but uh, I, I know that uh, um, uh, with, with a couple of our boys, we were wondering if they would kill each other. You know, before they made it to 21. Now you know what they are absolutely the best of friends. You know, they grow up uh, into a mature brother and sisterhood, if you will. And so to realize that we're talking with a brother or sister in Christ, um, and then to deal with it um, in a way that we want to reconcile uh, the situation. Uh, it needs to, the foundation needs to be on, on what, the, what the Word of God says. And you know, we, we wrestle with coming down to what does God's Word say in these kinds of situations. Um, and, then, and then to work toward reconciliation. We're so geared to um, we're so geared to uh, to win in this life, all right, or we're geared to compromise. Okay, um, give me something. We hear that out of Washington today. You know, um, I have a little matrix that I like to show during premarital counseling, and it talks about relationships and resolving problems. And on the one, on the uh, on on what I just remember the the um, the way it's lined out. But the things on the top of the scale are are good for the relationship, good for the relationship. And the things on the bottom of the scale are bad for the relationship. And the things that are um, on this side of the scale are bad for me personally. And here it's good for me personally. Each person individually, it's good for you. And uh, um, you can you can yield all the time. I'm just going to use a spouse situation. You can yield all the time, which is really good for the relationship. There are never any fights, all right? It's just that you never get heard. You never get your way, so to speak. And so it's bad for you, but it's good for the relationship. Um, uh, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's one where silence, you know, just silence. Nobody talks, right? Which is bad for you individually, and it's bad for your relationship because nobody's talking. Um, there's win. Win. Win is good for you. But it's really bad for your relationship because if you won, the other person lost. All right? It's so hard that we try to compromise. Compromise is in the middle. It's got a little bit for me, a little bit for you, and that's kind of good for the relationship, and so we compromise. The thing that's good for the relationship and also good for you is resolution. Okay? Coming to a, a resolution to the situation. Resolutions are so hard that uh, and take so much time and energy that we just want to, you know, like try to get it over with. But I think maybe because we try to hurry through some things and don't remember that we need to resolve things in uh, in congregations or uh, in synods or in families or with cup uh, in in a spouse relationship. That resolving it is the most important thing, and to work along that line. Our synod has a number of different uh, uh, ways to do that. Um, there's uh, uh, any of the pastors in here that can help me. There's reconcilers in Christ. Um, that are trained reconcilers. 
uh, that, that come into a congregation from the outside and try to help a congregation come to a resolution to a problem. Um, now, of course, the congregation has to be mature enough to call in a reconciler because it's scary. If we're going to bring in a reconciler, that means I can't hang on to my anger anymore. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Um, but, uh, yeah, divisions are, and they're damaging. They're damaging the congregation. They're damaging individuals. Yeah. Well, let's jump into chapter 4. Um, he uh, takes a turn here. Um, those who like cynical preaching, um, those who like irony, this is your chapter. All right. Let me read the chapter. This is how we should regard this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not there by acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, I do not pronounce judgment before the time, uh, b- before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from, uh, his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another, uh, one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Uh, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working for our own, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? 
This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, the us that he's referring to uh, are uh, himself and Apollos and Cephas, and by extension, uh, in general, to all of the apostles, as well as to those who are called and appointed as pastors. All right? This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. So right off he says, pastors are stewards or servants of Christ. And being servants of Christ, they are primarily and ultimately accountable to Christ and to Christ alone. And Paul's going to talk about that in just a moment. Christ's servants are stewards, he says. They're stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, stewards were often servants or, or even perhaps slaves who would uh, manage the uh, property of of the householder, of, of the master. Uh, one such steward who is like this, who is a servant or a slave, is uh, in the Old Testament, Joseph. Joseph is the steward for Potiphar, who is in charge of all of the prisons in Egypt, all right, into which he gets thrown. Wonderful. Um, so stewards had great responsibility. And they had a lot of latitude when uh, when they managed their master's property. But the important thing was that the steward uh, would discharge his office in a responsible way. And so Jesus tells uh, parables about the faithful and prudent steward who was put in charge of his master's slaves and was to give allowance of food at the proper time. All right. So stewards were to do that kind of thing. And he talks about dishonest stewards as well. And so faithfulness on, on a steward's part is of most importance. He says, this is how, you sh- how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I'm told that it was Thomas Aquinas who first talked about the sacraments as the seven mysteries of God. Um, and today there's a lot of talk about uh, pastors being stewards of the mystery of the Lord's Supper. Um, now, if that's what Paul is talking about, um, then we should find that elsewhere, elsewhere in Scripture. Elsewhere, uh, Paul should be mentioning this because one of the things we don't do is we don't build a teaching or build a doctrine off of one single passage. All right, it's important that it be backed up by other passages as well. And so, the so what we need to do is we need to ask how does Paul use this word mystery? Okay. Paul talked about the mystery of the gospel that had been hidden throughout the ages but is now revealed. He talked about that a number of different times. He's talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In, in, uh, at the end of, of Romans, he said, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. So it's this mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Jesus Christ. Um, in Ephesians, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Uh, Ephesians, that's Ephesians 3, verse 4. Ephesians, um, Ephesians uh, 3, verse 9, he uses the word again. He talks about uh, to bring light to for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 
26, he writes, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So this mystery is the gospel that had been hidden, but is now revealed. Um, later on, later on uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So he's going to tell them a mystery here. He's talking about the end of time. Uh, he talks about, in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the fact that the Gentiles would be brought into God through Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, who would have thought that? Unbelievable. And they don't have to become a Jew? You know? Um, and then he talks, he points out that the mystery of God is Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God, of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. All right? So the word mystery never refers to sacraments in Paul's writings. So it's probably not a sacrament here. Um, Paul's saying that the apostles should be regarded as ones who are servants of God, who are revealing Christ and his work through the message of the cross. That's the mystery that was hidden for ages and has now been revealed. And it's not just the mystery of the gospel story, you know, just uh, his death for the forgiveness of our sins. I think then it also refers to all that God has, has taught, all the Christian articles of, of, of all the articles of the Christian faith. And that's all part of the mystery as well, uh, which then, of course, would include sacraments. But it's the gospel is and Christ is the mystery that he's been revealing. And 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 it's, there's there's so much mystery that 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 he has revealed. Um, he's revealed how we're incorporated into Christ's death and resurrection and baptism. Talks about that in First Corinthians chapter 12. He talks what a mystery it is to be receiving the true body and blood of our crucified and risen Savior in the Lord's Supper. He talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The mystery of God being three and God being one, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. How God became man and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, the doctrine of the incarnation. There's the, the, the doctrine of election is a mystery. And there are many other mysteries as well. Um, and to accept all the mysteries of the faith, then we need to let our, our intellect, so to speak, be held captive to the word of God. That needs to drive it all. Um, faith must trust the word uh, that has been revealed. So it's probably safe to say that the mysteries of God in its fullest would be wrapped up in the phrase word and sacrament for a Lutheran. You know, it's, it's all that God has to give to us. Um, it, it hardly seems plausible that Paul is talking about the, the sacrament and only the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here in this place. So um, uh, that's his job, to reveal God's mysteries. Christ making his appeal through us. So he's speaking of the gospel. It's a mystery that's been hidden from the worldly wise, uh, but now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. All right. So the word mystery sums up the plan of God to save sinners through the foolishness and the weakness of Christ crucified. 
Um, and the mystery will be consummated when Christ returns. It'll all be revealed at the resurrection. And at that time, kind of jumping back then to chapter 3, um, the stewardship of each pastor then will be revealed and and evaluated by God. Um, how are we to be regarded um, as stewards of the mysteries of God? Um, you get your job evaluations at work. You might get it twice a year. You might get it once a year. Um, I don't get a job evaluation um, until the last day. And then comes the big one. Scary thought. Why did I ever become a pastor? This is a, <laughs> and I can't hide anything from this boss. He knows everything. I tried it once. I, 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 called, I called the boss. I called in sick. And he said, Hodel, he, he said, you don't know what sick is. Let me show you sick. And not, <laughs> no, I can't pull anything over on my boss. Um, no. Um, let's end here because I know the Sunday school kids are going to be getting out and parents need to uh, collect their kids. We'll, get, we'll, we'll continue with the rest of this chapter next week. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the gospel the mysteries of God. The Lord be with you. Thank you. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.